Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. On April the 12th, 2015, from Coolidge, Arizona, we welcome everyone aboard who may be listening in today, as well as those who are in the room. We have um, uh, our studies are in Acts. Right now we're in chapter 2, and um, we're what we refer to as the day of Pentecost. The events of this day gave a reason for the creation also gave the reason for the fulfillment of the book of Revelation, A.D. 70. This is the book that puts, uh, this is the chapter that puts the closure on the old law, introduces a new covenant, of uh, which the revelation uh, brings to us the, um, um, the process by which that was permanently accomplished. So it all ties together, uh, and of everything that God could do, of anything, God can do anything He wants to do. And He can do it any way He wants to do it. He can do it any time He wants to do it. But the one thing that He does is recorded here in Acts 2, which is the most important thing that God ever did do. And that's why there was a creation. He did not establish Europe. He did not establish Spain. He did not establish the Euro. He did not establish the United States of America. As wonderful as all countries may or may not be, that's not what God did. That, those are the natural things that man accomplishes, and that's why they're so flawed no matter which system it is. They are all flawed because they originate with man. And if it originates with God, then we come right back to Acts chapter 2 because this is the nation that God began. This is how it began and what an impact it ought to have. And we ought to get our thinking adjusted to the things that God sees as the priority and as the um, important matters. That's a tough way to go. But until we get a grasp on Acts chapter 2 and, the, and, and what results from that as recorded in the book of Acts as a whole, uh, we haven't got a clue as to why anything is happening in the world. It's just all speculation and one person's speculation is no better or any worse than anybody else's speculation. We don't have any anchor if we don't understand Acts chapter 2. We have no solid rock. I hope that's clear. I hope you understand my thinking on that. And I, I, I wish that it would take hold. Uh, so we're, we're looking at chapter 
2, and today we're, we're going to begin reading with verse 16. Now, we've already discussed this one and verse 17, but there are some points to bring us up to speed quickly. In verse 16, this is that which was spoken of by... Um, or through the prophet Joel. And we mentioned last week that the this is a demonstrative pronoun. Uh, Alex confirmed it for us. And uh, he is talking about what it is you see in its entirety. This is that. This is that. Well, it doesn't seem to match. But you know why? Because you haven't listened. <laughs> you see, prophecy is not literal. And we keep trying to apply literal language to prophetic language. And Peter on this day is quoting it from the prophetic portions of Joel in Acts, uh, Joel chapter 2. He is quoting prophetic language. Prophetic language is not intended to be thought of literally, and yet almost everybody has a problem with this. And the reason why is they're trying to apply literal interpretation to a figurative or symbolic language. And as long as you do that, you can't get anything clear. I want that to sink in. Prophecy is never literal. When we're writing history, it's literal. Even when you're writing history in a prophetic language, it's still prophetic. It's still prophetic. Or still still symbolic. When they're yeah, when they're talking about the past in a when the whole context is prophetic. And, and that's what he's doing here, isn't it? Because he, he's telling he's telling us now what the prophecy is talking about. And we go to the prophecy and try to try to interpret that according to how we look at it in literal, literal language. But Peter is explaining it. The New Testament explains the prophetic portions of the Old Covenant. That's what the New Testament does. When the New Testament speaks prophetically uh, and symbolism, such as the book of Revelation, it uses the same kind of symbolic language as the Old Testament does. But the New Testament is the fulfillment of uh, these type of prophecies. And here, Peter is saying, you know about the prophecy. You know the language. You know the symbolism. And whatever it was that you heard, this is it. And once a person gets that clear, you just quit asking a lot of stupid questions. <laughs> I can hear somebody, but I can't. There must be some little kid. So we, we need to get a handle on language and um, that um, 
He's, he's describing here what is happening, and he says, now what you are seeing is the result of what it was that Joel was talking about, and don't, you know, and, and he's just giving us all kinds of things here, but I want to look at it a little bit, some, uh, some of it just a little bit uh, more specifically. Look at verse now. Verse 16, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, or spoken through the prophet Joel. What you see is that. No matter what it is you're seeing, it is the fulfillment of what Joel said. Don't worry about what it is that Joel said. Now, look at what's happening. This is that. <laughs> That's how you understand the prophecy. And it will come about in the last days, verse 17. The last days of Judah and Jerusalem. That's who Joel was writing about. Not writing about last days of our time, but in the last days of Judah and Jerusalem. Those last days were consummated with the fall of Jerusalem. That's what the book of Revelation covers. It covers the, the end of the last days. It was the end of the age. The end of the apostolic age and the end of the, of the uh, Judistic age. And it shall come to pass uh, in the last days, saith God. Now remember that he's quoting Joel. Uh, it, will come, uh, it will come to pass in the last days. It will come to its fruition in the last days. It will come and pass in the last days. So, if the last days have ended, then whatever it was that began now continues. But the thing that made it started, or that got it started, it all met its fruition. All met its completion. Let's, let's keep going that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And of course he's speaking of the Gentile now as well as the, as the Jew. He's including all flesh. That was the promise made back to Abraham in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that uh, all, all nations would be blessed in Abraham. I will pour out of my spirit. I will pour out of what I am. I will pour out of who I am upon all flesh. And uh, we discussed that last week. Probably don't need to rehash that. Your sons. Whose sons? That's right. The people to whom um, Joel was speaking. Joel, uh, Peter is still quoting Joel, and he says, your sons and your daughters, that is the descendants of the Jews shall prophesy, and your young men, your young men, not all young men, by the way, who? Your. Your young men. And even so, if you take this just from that standpoint, very limiting. Your young men, and your old men, your old men, not the old men of our time, not the young men of our time, not the sons and daughters of our time, but the sons and the daughters and the young men and the old men of those of whom Joel is speaking. 
And I should be clear. There will be a dreaming of dreams. There were a lot of things involved going on behind the scenes that gave all of this its impetus. No other event on the face of the earth has ever been accompanied with anything like this. So folks, we've got to make sure that we understand that this is all of which God had designed for mankind is right here. It's all here. And we need to get a handle on it. So, and on my service in verse 18, and on my handmaidens, so he's being very specific in verse 18. In the earlier verse, he said, My flesh will be poured out upon, or my spirit will be poured out upon all of mankind. And here he's narrowing it down. And on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. In those days. Not perpetually, but in those days. There's a time limit here. In those days is not forever and ever. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders. All of these things together, I will show wonders in, in heaven. And it's in the heaven. That means it's talking about a specific aspect of heaven. Now, if you've been following along in the book of Revelation, you know that heaven is referring to the heaven and earth as the Jews saw it. Not as you and I think about it today. But uh, uh, heaven was the, was the, uh, the temple because that's where God was. See, that's why it's called heaven, the temple. And when God removed himself and vacated the temple, then that was the end of the Jewish heaven. And of course, the earth is referring to um, the land of Judea. So that's limiting where all of this takes place. Blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Verse 20, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord, before that day comes. He's still quoting Joel. And remember, Joel comes right back, I mean, Peter comes right back and says, what you heard Joel talking about is taking place on this day. Then, 2,000 years ago, all of this took place. It brought into being the ideal and the plan and the dream of God brought it to where anyone who chooses to can become a part of it and be assured of eternal life. Verse 21. So, before we go there, be very careful that when you're reading this, even though it's in prophetic language, symbolic language, not meant to be taken literally. However it is, Peter says, it's being fulfilled this day. We keep asking ourselves that even in prophetic language here, who are the recipients? They're not you and they're not me. 
We're not a part of that program. We're only a part of that which resulted from this. This is how it began. <clears throat> okay, so in verse 21, let's go on. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call. Now, I'd like to... Um, I'd like to take just a moment to look a couple words up here quickly. Look, let's look at the... Um, <clears throat> uh, there was something I missed on the previous verse. Um, when it says, That great and notable day of the Lord... Um, I was just going to make a comment there that um, Peter is quoting Joel, and he is saying that uh, the, this is, in this respect, the day of the Lord. There is another possibility that I wanted to add to that, and that is that when Malachi prophesies the great and terrible day of the Lord, he is speaking of the fall of Jerusalem. I just wanted to add that. And this could include the whole thing. It could it could span that whole, uh, both both the day, that day of Pentecost, and that's the most likely possibility. But it could be extended into include the day of the fall of Jerusalem because this is what gave credence uh, to the prophecies that Jesus would come in the lifetime of those people, and it would be evidenced by the fall of Jerusalem. All right, now verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call. What does it mean to call? Does it mean to call out on the name? Does it mean to say real loud, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? Going up and down the street saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? Well, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. Uh, let's go to this word in the Greek if you can get there. And uh, let's see if it tells us. Let's see if it breaks it down. I don't know whether the definition does or not. And I think we've got a key word here. Um, it's in the middle voice. So that means you are calling, you know, calling to yourself. Um, you're acting upon yourself. You're hitting yourself in the head with the bat um, to to um, entile by implication or to invoke. And that's that's um, that's an important word here. It actually is the word. Um, it has the idea of making an appeal to, and in the New Testament, the word appeal means a surrender of all of your possessions. Everything that you are, your person and everything with it. When Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, it meant that he became a total subject to Caesar. And this word call uh, isn't just a word of vocalizing. It has to do um, to... Um, to do something, to bring something upon yourself with force, with uh, uh, to invoke. 
and to um, it's a much stronger word than what we think about it and the name of course we know what the word name what does the word name mean it's a noun here and of course we know that Nomenclature, all that it is. All right, it, it means the full disclosure. So to call to yourself, that's, that's in the middle voice, see, to call to yourself the full disclosure of the Lord. Everything that I is his, uh, that identifies him, that makes him who he is. His character, his nature, which is representative of his spirit. You are making an appeal. You are invoking that full disclosure. Everything that makes Christ who he was, you are invoking that unto yourself and bringing that unto yourself. And those who take that, that serious shall be what? Saved. They're the ones who are to be saved. So it doesn't mean to go out and just call and holler out a name that doesn't have anything to do with it. It, it means that you are invoking upon yourself everything that Christ represents. What was that? that additional thought um, because at this point uh, he does not appear to be I wouldn't, I wouldn't eliminate either side of that comment um, or of that issue but here he's, he's dressing very specifically um, about what's going to happen and I don't believe that it's t talking here about the, the salvation from sin. But it certainly, as you have said, but it certainly is applicable, uh, possibly applicable to that because when you understand what it means to call on, uh, you know, you, you, you just, those, and it's whoever. Mike, I, I, this is something that might neutralize a little bit your comment there, but it's whoever shall call. It doesn't say whenever, but he is speaking of the men to the men of Israel specifically. Men of Look at verse, uh, verse 22. He's coming right back to them in verse 22. Listen to these words. And then he begins to build on what it was that Joel was prophesying and that Peter was quoting from. And he is, I think that he's including here um, that everyone who makes this appeal 
who invokes the full disclosure of the Lord will be saved and I think that will be saved can include personal salvation but I think as Mike suggested that it's referring to the consequences of uh, unfaithful Israel because look at the very next verse I'm not going to argue with anybody either way on that but I think Mike's made a good um, good analysis there it's funny it's it's kind of funny to me how so many automatically use the worst form of that English to try to understand what that verse says but to call on is uh, that's that's an effort to establish a personal or professional relationship yeah that's what calling on is, you know. And and there's other English that describes yelling or, or... We've got a lot of noise coming through that we can't hear anything here, Mike. I got it. Oh, you got it? Okay, we had to mute. Somebody was doing something. Uh, we, had, we had a lot of background noise coming through. Sounded like a Western to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think Noah's got a good point there too. Is that uh, it, it is it's making appeal for a professional? But the issue that these people had was the identity of Christ, and the Jewish people had, as we're going to read in the next verse, have really rejected him. Let's go to verse twenty-two because it kind of pulls it together for us. Do I hear somebody wanting to say? Are you there, Jackie? I, I had to mute it. He had to. We had to mute somebody here because uh, we were getting a lot of noise coming through. Anyway, look at verse twenty-two. I think that it's very likely that the principle that Joel is stating here from the Lord that Peter is quoting probably encompasses the whole picture. So, ye men of Israel. Now, we know specifically who Peter is talking about now. Now he breaks away. He breaks away from Joel, and now he's talking to whom? His audience. His audience. And they were... The Jews. the Jews, the men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, that problem before. What was that? Somebody on the computer is playing other programs where they have us And then we're getting the results of it. Um, can you hear okay, Mike? I 
Oh, we're muted. Okay. You can't answer. Uh, again, we're getting a, a lot of noise coming through. Um, I don't even know who's doing it. And we don't know where it's coming from. Alex can't yeah, tell. They can't hear us. So, um, all right. Let me, uh, we have to move on. Uh, so, uh, if somebody's trying to drown us out, you know, you just can't drown out the word of the Lord. You may try. But uh, there'll be a mortician by soon. <laughs> You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. So here we get that when Jesus was here, he came from God, put aside his identity with God to become as we are, that's Philippians chapter 2, so that he could meet all of the things necessary for man, and to do so he had to be as man himself. That's why on this day of Pentecost, he is identified as a man. Nowhere in the New Testament is Jesus referred to as a God. So don't let anybody start talking to you about God in the manger. That's, um, you know, that, that's forbidden territory. Uh, he put aside his godhood and became as one of us so that he could meet our needs as a man. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, folks, we partake of his blood uh, and of his body to proclaim that when he died, he died as a man so that when he arose, there's hope for us as a man. And you, you mess with that, you lose away any value to Christ at all. And people haven't got that clear, but we need to get it clear. So here was a man approved of God. Approved of God among you by miracles. So how, how, how did God do this? He, he was approved of God among you through miracles and wonders and signs. And who did those? Because Jesus was a man, he had no inherent power. So how did he do all of these things? This verse answers that question. I don't want to ever hear it come up again. <laughs> In other words, I'm trying to say, get it. You know, get it now. How did he do these things? This verse answers that for us. He did not have the ability to do it as a man. He had put aside that power and that ability, came as a man, as a baby, died as a man. That's why he shed blood and, and his body died, and that's why we partake at the Lord's table, because that represents the manhood of Jesus. I've said that before, but you know, it doesn't get through sometimes. And a man approved of God among you, and through miracles and wonders and signs, which God did. Through him. Throw him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. You know this. You know what Jesus did. 
But now I'm telling you that he did this. It wasn't him doing it. It was whom doing it through him? It was God doing it through him. Folks, that's what it means to believe in who Jesus was. That he was the one through whom God used to perform the miracles and the wonders. We have to come to a right understanding of who Jesus was. He says, you know this. They were witnesses to this. And so in the very first thing, the very first thing out of Peter's mouth, when he has quoted Joel, he says, now here, here, right now, as I have access into the thinking of God, this is how it all comes together. Now, if you go somewhere else with what Joel said, you're going the wrong direction. Peter is putting together now what it is that he quoted from Joel. Ye men of Israel, ye men of Israel, so initially he's talking to them. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. How? By miracles and wonders and signs. Who did this? God did it through him. And he did it where all of you saw, that where all of you could see it happening. You were witness of this as you yourselves also know. Folks, that's a bundleful of information that just flows um, crosswise to Protestantism today. Now notice in verse 23. I mean, that is so clear, I don't know how we can add it. Uh, as Nolan says, uh, how many doctorate degrees would it take? Probably six, huh? <laughs> to misunderstand the meaning of that verse. Why, you'd have to be so overeducated. And that puts Christ in the right light. He was approved of God. But is He approved of you? Now Him, this man, verse 23, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken. Who have taken? You, the Jews. Yeah, right. The Jews, the men of Israel. That's why I can, I, I, I certainly um, want to keep Mike's comment there in in line here uh, with what's being said altogether. But I don't think it's limited to that. That that would be my only response. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, that you have taken this man and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. They did not kill God, they killed the man whom God approved. God was not on that cross, God was in heaven. Jesus had a God. And it's the God to whom Jesus takes us. The Jesus only folks are in error because they talk about Jesus exclusively. But remember that Jesus is our way to God. 
We need to know about God. And then when we realize that we can't get to God, Jesus steps up to the plate and he says, Hey, I can get you there. That's his mission, is not to bring us to him, but to bring us to the one that he came to reveal. And that's God. He must, he must drive a Dodge. That's yeah. 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 The only way you can get to the Father, Jesus said, no man comes under the Father but by me. me. So if I want to give something to Nolan, I always give it to, uh, to Alex. Because <laughs> then I know it will get to his Father. <laughs> All right. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we're not going to the Father. We're satisfied with Jesus. Jesus won't get you anywhere unless you're going through Him to the Father. That's the only place He will take you. We need to see what He did, what He accomplished. We need to see how God was approving of Him and what God was doing through Him and what the mission was that He came to accomplish. But He accomplished that mission for us to have a way to the Father. That's all free. You have taken, you have taken this man, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But verse 24, this man God raised up. If he was something other than man, when he died, he was something other than man when he arose. If he was something other than man when he was raised from the dead, his resurrection means absolutely nothing to you. That's right. It's meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. Just another alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just another alien. You might as well read the novels. God raised him up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it because, notice in verse 25, we have to use this verse, for David speaketh concerning him. You know, I'm reading from the King James and that may be confusing to some of you, but that's how my, uh, my, my Greek... Uh, is drawn from here. You like reading from that, so you can make fun of the King James from because you read because you got the Greek. That's right. I like to read, I can, therefore I can make more fun of it. Sure. That's probably the worst one to pair up with. The you got it. <laughs> it really is. So now he. So, so who did who did Peter start with? He started with Joel. Now he's introduced whom? David. Oh, you guys are quick. <laughs> If I was making out report cards, you'd all get an A today. <laughs> and so, uh, David says, So concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore, 
And I got to complete the quote. Therefore did my heart rejoice. You know, let me read it from the New American. then, Then you guys can follow better. I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also shall live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now you can make anything you want out of Peter quoting David. But now folks, look at how Peter, having access to the thinking of God now on the day of Pentecost, as the fulfillment of having been baptized in spirit with the spirit of God so that he could understand the thinking of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. He's qualifying now what it is that the prophecy was talking about. I confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So he's saying, first of all, I want to get your thinking straightened out on that. Because they were getting all caught up in the prophecy, not knowing how it was going to be fulfilled. So, in verse 30, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Now we're getting a qualification. Folks, this is by inspiration. God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, and he looked ahead 3,000 years from the time of Pentecost. When folks today are still expecting what Peter is saying was the fulfillment of David's prophecy, they're still looking for it and notice that he puts it into perspective and shatters all of the futurist thinking about this issue. Notice what he says. He looked ahead and spoke of what event? The resurrection of the Christ. I am going to seat one of your descendants on the throne. That would be the throne of David. He's quoting from David. God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He was looking ahead. Peter is saying this by inspiration. You cannot alter this saying in with and uh, with inspiration, it has to be with falsehood. He looked ahead by inspiration. I mean, Peter is saying this by inspiration. He looked ahead and spoke of what event? Of what event? The 
You got it. The resurrection. The resurrection. So if Jesus has risen from the dead, where then is Christ? On the throne. On the throne of David. And it says, and we're going to read more about this as we go along, but every passage says that He will remain on the throne until, you know, following, following His ascension, he was going to be enthroned and he would remain there until certain things took place. And, uh, and then we know what 1 Corinthians 15 teaches, that then the, the throne would be given back, given back to the Father so that the distinction between the two would now become more clearly again. Remember that? Yeah. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll get there, but we don't need to get there yet. Right now, we need to make sure that we understand Peter's, Peter, through inspiration, describing the prophecy made by David and that God had sworn with an oath to him that one of his descendants would be seated on his throne and he looked ahead and spoke of the event of the resurrection of Christ and that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. Folks, you got to get that clear. And the very next verse puts a cap to it and now we got to quit. Our time has passed. This Jesus, this man Jesus, God raised up again. Now, what was going to happen with the resurrection? We just read it. What was it? Seated on the throne. That Christ would be seated on His throne. Now, Peter says, this Jesus, God raised up. Past tense. So, therefore, where is, Je where is Jesus as Peter is speaking to the men of Israel? He's on the throne. He's on David's throne. He's on the throne that was promised to David and the, and the event to be assured of him being on that throne was the resurrection. Folks, if we deny that Jesus was on the throne of David, we must deny the resurrection. You cannot be saved if you deny the resurrection of Christ. I was a little confused about the Lord said to my Lord. The of that. Oh, and the, the um, Jehovah, uh, Jehovah, and the Lord. Jesus. You, that's right. That's right. No. The word again in the Greek, David, this Jesus God raised up again. What, what was the word? Again. <clears throat> So what verse is that? Um, 32. No, it's no verse. 32. 32. Yeah. Didn't look like it. I think mine had been tractalized before I had the word again. Crossed out. I, I do too. Yeah. I just wanted to be sure it wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't raised twice. Uh, I, I, what, what verse... 32. 32. Is verse 32? Yeah. In the New American Standard, it says again. Oh, I did, yeah. 
I don't think that that's not there. Mine too. No. Yeah, I've already done that, but you know, I'm glad you reminded me of that. This, this, the Jesus. Not just Jesus, but the Jesus. And let's go back to read. Uh, let's go back to the Lord uh, said to my Lord. Now remember, he's speaking here. Uh, he's quoting David. Uh, and uh, let's see, literally, and I, we may have to, we may have to deal with this a little bit more. Um, what verse is that? Um, it would be in the quote. I don't... Um, what verse was that in? Do you have that? Um, I'm not sure. I just noticed that... Um, you don't, uh, did we run by that? No. Was it, was it up a little more? Was it uh, towards the... Uh... Well, folks, we're going to have to... I'm going to make a note here. I'm going to pursue that a little bit further next week, okay? okay. Our time is gone and... And um, the Lord said to my Lord is the phrase, and for some reason I can't get my eye on it, the eye on it there. What are you talking about? Yeah, it, it, that's a good point. Second half of thirty-four. Oh, that's ahead of where we are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's why I couldn't find it. We haven't got there yet. <laughs> How come you're jumping so far ahead? <laughs> okay, well then we'll just deal with it when we get to it, okay? All right. <clears throat> but that's, that's the idea there, uh, that, that God said to Jesus. In the Greek it says, said the Lord to the Lord of me. All right. So that shows the distinction there. They weren't talking to one wasn't talking to themselves, they were talking to a separate person, but he's identifying. And then he, he tells um, what what um, and this is what I was referring to, that every time um, that he's on the throne, uh, he's gonna remain there now. He's going to remain there until his enemies are a footstool for your feet. And that's a whole different issue. But you see, it, uh, it isn't that he's going to have and be enthroned. It, he was enthroned. You cannot deny the enthronement of Jesus on the throne of David without denying the resurrection. And yet, there isn't a church on this street that believes that. Not one. Folks, it's serious stuff. It's very, very serious. And let's get it right. Let's pray. Father, these things are not always easy to comprehend. And we're thankful for the intellectual challenge that your word presents to us. But may our hearts be pure so that we can see the truth of what is said. May we live in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.